beloved survivors. We have a different kind of episode coming to you this week. So last week, Adrian was supposed to fly out and visit me in Minnesota. But the day that she was supposed to arrive, uh, one of my kids tested positive for COVID. So we had to cancel her trip last minute. And in addition to a lot of the things that were delayed and changed through this unexpected moment, we were supposed to do some recording together when she was here. So I had this idea. Sometimes Adrian and I exchange long voice messages as a part of just how we stay in touch with each other. And so I had this idea that we, instead of recording in the traditional way that we would, which was going to be really hard for me being quarantined with my kids, I had the idea that we just exchange some voice notes on a topic. And Adrian started us off. And then we just went back and forth. And then we sent the audio to our producer, Zach, and... What you're about to hear is the result of that extended voice note conversation. Um, Really hope you enjoy it. And just a reminder, as always, if you like what you are hearing, you can support the work that we're doing by going over to patreon.com slash end of the world show and becoming a patron of our show. We so deeply appreciate after five almost six years now of doing this work together um, that we have this really incredible group of sustainers who make all of this possible and if you're not in that crew we invite you to join us all right enjoy Hi, sister. It's Adrian. <laughs> I'm in the bathtub and I thought I would send you a voice note, our first voice note. I love this idea that you had about just like sending each other voice notes about this freaking week and and what it feels like to be alive right now and what it means to love each other in a time of such danger and overwhelm. So I'm going to start. Hope that's cool with you. And yeah, so (laughs) um, I feel like, so where I am is in my bathtub with, I made myself a mixed drink, which is like very, you know, artfully conceived, but like, I'm not a bartender. So I just poured stuff into a cup that's like, some kombucha and some whiskey and some lavender syrup. Um, And I'm, I was like, maybe I'll sing some stuff in the bath. I've been really like not able to function all day. And, and there's a lot of reasons maybe. So like on this day that I'm sending this message to you, I was supposed to fly to you. Um, I was supposed to fly to you. And I really was so ready to fly to you, <laughs> like, like maybe the most ready I've ever been to come visit y'all, because this week in Uvalde, Texas, you know, our home state, our birth state, maybe is the better way to say it. Um, all these babies are murdered, and I haven't really been able to function. For a while, like I, I've been struggling with the state of the collective. The state of the collective is overwhelming to me as someone who's like supposed to be thinking about hope and hopeful and oriented towards, and I feel hope is a discipline. You know what Miriam Kaba taught us? I feel that. And I feel like the rigor needed to get through weeks like this um, and weeks like last week, like those elders in Buffalo took me all the way out. And last week I couldn't stop calling our parents, especially dad, 
<laughs> just kind of wanting to make sure he wasn't out in the world. And then today you called and said that the kids, one of the kids had tested positive for COVID and the others are showing symptoms. And that means about half of our family right now has COVID. And people are still out here like, what? It's a scam or whatever. It's just like, we're just living in this world. It feels like, did you ever read the book China Mieville wrote? Um, I think it's The City and the City, where it's like two cities literally occupying the same space, but choosing not to see each other and choosing to have like extremely different values and an extremely different self-conceit. Um, that's interesting. All week, all I can do, like every reference I want to make is a sci-fi reference because nothing else even makes sense. <laughs> um, it feels like that. Like I feel like the whole world that we're living in right now, like the U.S. and like the things that the U.S. does are really like that. Like I feel like we're in this duology uh, that's trying to function as a nation where some people are moving towards life and others are really moving towards death. And those of us that are moving towards life don't know how to defend ourselves while the others duke it out. I'm sipping my strange drink. It's actually good. Um, there's a lot more, but we can get into it. But I think the question I have for you to start off with is where are you beginning this recording process and what's happening for you where are you what's happening for you like both internally and externally hi sister okay so where I am is I'm sitting on my back porch. It's a little after seven. So we're basically, we've hit the point in the day where it's like almost exactly 12 hours since I realized that at least one of my kids had COVID and that you were gonna have to cancel your plane ticket. Um, it's also like within an hour of the time that you would have been arriving here tonight. And I'm just, I'm sitting on my porch. The kids are all like watching TV and resting their bodies. Um, everyone is sniffly. Mildly, everyone is like mildly symptomatic, even though Finn is the only one who has a positive test. Well, I'm not mildly symptomatic, but everyone else is. I am, I have been like, just feeling really devastated all day. I've been feeling devastated for days, but something particularly about today is like, I think just the whiplash of knowing you were coming and then it suddenly being also known that you're not coming, that you can't come, that we can't take the risk of you coming here. And then it like settling in with me over the course of the rest of the day that I'm going to be like solo with my kids for at least five days, if not longer. Um, uh, while also feeling this profound sense of relief that I'm not having to like drop my kids off at school right now. Um, you asked if I had read The City and the City and I haven't read that book, but when you were talking about it, it made me think of um, 
the short story by Ursula K. Le Guin, The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas, which I just read last month for the first time. And I don't know if you've read this story, but it's about this like utopian city called Omelas in which like everything is perfect and everyone's lives are completely perfect and everyone's healthy and well and beautiful and happy. But somehow all of this is held together by the torture and suffering of a single neglected child who's locked in a basement somewhere in the city. And as people come of age in this community, at some point in their coming of age process, they're like introduced to the reality that this child is there. And then they go on with their lives, but some of them leave. And that story feels so apropos to this week, <laughs> to like our current reality. Um, there's something about that story and also the context in which I was introduced to the story because the way that I find, found out about the story was last month I was leading a writing workshop for the Mirror Memoirs community, which is a community of child sexual assault survivors. And one of the members of the group was talking about that story. And so after the group was over, after the workshop ended, I like pulled it up and read it right away. And there's something about that story and the context of like being among like everyone in that room, we're all survivors of child sexual assault. It feels so connected. It all feels so connected. It's like all of the violence that we experience, all of the violences that we enact on children in our society. Like there's, to me, it feels like there's such a profound connection between like the massacre of children that just happened in Texas earlier this week and like the ongoing pervasive like pandemic of sexual assault of children in our society. It's like, it's like the death cult, you know, that Janine talks about. So I don't know, like right now, I'm mostly just sitting with that feeling of like, like I feel my whole viscera contracting. I feel like so sick inside and also I feel very very relieved to not have to like leave my house with my children right now and and I know that that's not going to remain you know like at some point we will have to leave this house <laughs> this is a temporary experience and somehow I have to like keep orienting to the future. So, okay, so here we go. The question I have for you, as I send off this note to you tonight is, how do you orient to the future? Oh, sister. <laughs> oh, fuck, that's a good question. And yeah, I feel the vulnerability of your message and the concurrent like vulnerability in me. Um, also, I think one of my favorite things in the entire world is you telling me about the ones who walk away from Omelas. Um, it's one of the stories I feel most familiar with in my whole life. And like it's shaped a lot of my life. And I just did like a two hour conversation with David Naiman, who's an incredible scholar of science fiction and speculative fiction and had interviewed Ursula many times. I'll send you the link, but it was a lot about that story because I'm like, that's this moment. And I really love you tying it together. I love that you saw that and felt that. Um, it's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I just, this whole week, I keep feeling so emotionally overwhelmed 
by the state of children. And like, I keep reaching out to all the moms in my life and the parents in my life and just like trying to understand, I can't even reach into what that must feel like. My orientation is like this hyper empathetic being who feels so much and who loves so many children. And that one who, the ones who walk away from Omalas is like, that's what this period of history feels like more than anything else is that there's this like cabal of people who are trying to live in a utopia where the cost is children's suffering. And the rest of us suffer, but our first suffering happens as children. For most of us, like whether it's child sexual abuse or abandonment or just fucking realizing what this country, the US is up to, like what the experiment relies on, which is dehumanization and hierarchy of certain lives that matter and others that don't. I mean, it's just, it overwhelms me. And, you know, I want to move in the direction of like, it's monsters. There's these monsters, but actually it's like such a systemic development or systemic underdevelopment of critical thinking, the ability to logic through like, oh, A plus B equals C. Like, I feel like we're living in this time where like, you know, 50% of people are like, A plus B equals C. And then like the other 50% are like, A goes to D and it's YZ, bitch. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, it doesn't make sense. And I can spend a lot of time on like trying to make it make sense, but it, it won't add up. So when I think about the future, I love this question. Like, what do I see? Like, what's the future that I see right now? Um, you know, I call myself a post-nationalist. And it's really rooted in my belief that, like, what's happening with the U.S. experiment, because it was founded in such a devastating, genocidal, um, inhumane act, right? Like, the way that the initial colonizers interacted with indigenous peoples, it's not forgivable. So it's not something that can be like overcome and the nation can continue. So on that level, and then secondarily, (laughs) if that's a word, then we get slavery, which also to me is like, that's not something we can overcome. So those two things plus a million others, internment camps and Chinese railroads and xenophobia, all of it. Oh, hi, doorbell. I think that's my pizza. Um, All of it, all of it, all of it. Like, none of it is fair, none of it is righteous, and none of it will get to continue. So. Hi. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Bless you. Um, Zach, I'm just trusting you to edit all this stuff. Um, yeah, pizza delivery should stay in. The only other thing I wanted to say here, the only other thing that felt really like I was, it was actually coming to me earlier today was like the future is so much more grief than I expected. Like I'm just literally physically like as a human body, I'm having to cry so much more than I expected to. I think in every vision of the future I had, it was like, we were fighting. (laughs) We were like claiming some new territory. Um, We were hiding in like underground bunkers. (laughs) Like, you know, there was the experimental and the exciting and the like, it's just a crisis and we have to move quickly. But I, And I think that's coming. You know, if I'm really truly like honest with myself, I think that's coming. But in this phase of it, it's like this interstitial space where it's like, I just grieve so much more than I thought I could grieve. And it's all necessary. Like there's never, I never come out of a crying moment 
that didn't feel justified. So my vision of the future is one in which like we adequately and appropriately feel all of the impacts of what we're deciding to do. And that informs our fucking decisions about our structures and how we behave. That's all I really want. That's what I really want. Because I'm like, from this grief, it would be so easy for me to know the policy that followed. I don't want to live in a world where people don't understand that. That this leads to this. I think I see a lot of secession. I see a dissolution of the United States as a like construct. I see a lot of like tribal development and like finding our way back into relationship with indigenous leadership and trying to figure out how that works with technology and globalism. But yeah, that's what I see. And I'm going over time too, (laughs) so Zach can help us out. But my question for you is, how do you parent with integrity through these changes? Okay, in response to your last voice note, I'm going to just read the preface to All About Love. There was something that you said in your last note that just hooked me right back into the preface of this book because it's like, this is what it means to like be a child and come of age. And also it's like what it means to be a child and come of age in a society that's like committed to death, I think. Let's see, am I gonna read the whole preface? I think I'm just gonna read the whole preface. When I was a child, it was clear to me that life was not worth living if we did not know love. I wish I could testify that I came to this awareness because of the love I felt in my life, but it was love's absence that let me know how much love mattered. I was my father's first daughter. At the moment of my birth, I was looked upon with loving kindness, cherished and made to feel wanted on this earth and in my home. To this day, I cannot remember when that feeling of being loved left me. I just know that one day I was no longer precious. Those who had initially loved me well turned away. The absence of their recognition and regard pierced my heart and left me with a feeling of brokenheartedness so profound I was spellbound. Grief and sadness overwhelmed me. I did not know what I had done wrong and nothing I tried made it right. No other connection healed the hurt of that first abandonment, that first banishment from love's paradise. For years, I lived my life suspended, trapped by the past, unable to move into the future. Like every wounded child, I just wanted to turn back time and be in that paradise again, in that moment of remembered rapture where I felt loved, where I felt a sense of belonging. We can never go back. I know that now. We can go forward. We can find the love our hearts long for, but not until we let go grief about the love we lost long ago when we were little and had no voice to speak the heart's longing. All the years of my life, I thought I was searching for love I found retrospectively to be years where I was simply trying to recover what had been lost, to return to the first home, to get back the rapture of first love, I was not really ready to love or be loved in the present. I was still mourning, clinging to the broken heart of girlhood, to broken connections. When that mourning ceased, I was able to love again. So this to me feels like the thing that's like prescient. This line, when that mourning ceased, I was able to love again. So I'm gonna come back to that. I awakened from my trance state and was stunned to find the world I was living in. The world of the present was no longer a world open to love. And I noticed that all around me, I heard testimony that lovelessness had become the order of the day. I feel our nation's turning away from love as intensely as I feel love's abandonment in my girlhood. Turning away, we risk moving into a wilderness of spirit so intense we may never find our way home again. I write of love to bear witness both to the danger in this movement and to call for a return to love, 
redeemed and restored. Love returns us to the promise of everlasting life. When we love, we can let our hearts speak. So this line <clears throat> from the preface, when that morning ceased, I was able to love again. This is like the thing that I keep thinking about related to that, the core wound you were just talking about of genocide and enslavement that like the U.S. is like not unique in having engaged in genocide and enslavement, but I think is like maybe unique in being like rooted in that kind of brutality, but at the same time having a peaceful self-story. Like, I think about this, this feels to me like evidenced by the fact that like, the reason why mass shooting numbers are so low in other countries is that like in other countries, like when this happens, the reaction is to immediately restrict guns. But it's like, not gonna happen here because actually, like even though we have a like external self story of peace and democracy, our internal identity or the internal identity of the nation is like very much like there's like brutality at the core of that identity. And that means that there is not yet or has not yet been you know, confronting and mourning. You, you can't mourn something that's not yet dead, right? So it's like, we can't mourn. It's like, what needs to happen is that like that brutality itself needs to die so that we can mourn it and grieve it. And then that can make room for love. You asked, how do you parent through these changes? So first things first, I'm just gonna take a sip of this Prosecco. And it might get a little burpy because it's that time of night. I have this bottle of Prosecco that was gifted to me on my birthday and I've been saving it for like a special occasion. <laughs> So here we are, tonight's the night. People keep like talking about how to talk to children about what's happened in age appropriate ways, which is like such a nonsense phrase. <laughs> like, I think that's when, like, here we are, it's Friday night. And that's one of the things that's really, that's landing with me as I think about your question about like, how do you parent through this time period? It's like that there is, we continue to have this sort of weird set of parameters around like what we think is appropriate for kids to know. I mean, and I'm, I'm not saying that I'm like throwing all of that out the window at all. I'm certainly still observing at least like my best understanding of what is appropriate and not appropriate for my kids to know about um, or to, to be informed about. But, um, but it's like, there's, it feels like a sort of, I'm trying to think of how to talk about this even. It feels like a part of this sort of continuing, like we're all upholding the pretense of that there's some way that this has become normal, even in that, even in the sense that there's like an age appropriate way to talk to children about people their own age being executed in their schools. You know what I mean? It's like, there's not, the, there's there's no age appropriate way to have that conversation. It's not an age appropriate conversation. It's not an appropriate conversation and because it's obscene, right? Um, 
And I feel like I'm seeing like ver different versions of the same problem kind of playing out in a variety of areas. Like I was, I was in a parent meeting um, the other night, literally last night, um, like a conversation with a group of other parents. And I like named, you know, I'm having probably the same experience that everyone on this call is having of just how hard this is. And, and one of the other parents had the nerve to like say, yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that Autumn, because like in my household, like this just didn't even make a ripple. Like my, my child doesn't seem affected by it at all. And, you know, cause she didn't bring it up. And I was just looking at him like, what? <laughs> like, you know, just the, to hear someone referring to the events of this week with the phrase, it didn't make a ripple. And to see someone operating from the assumption that because their child didn't bring it up to them, that means that their child is not impacted by it. I was just like, oh, this is also part of it. So the way that I am like parenting my children right now today is like really being honest with them about like that this is the world and it's not the whole world. It's not the only world, but it is there world right now on wednesday morning when i was driving them to school i just started talking about harriet tubman <laughs> i was just like you know what in moments like this i think it's really important to remember that harriet tubman did what she did from inside enslavement and in order for her to do that she had to really believe that there was a different reality and maybe she wasn't going to live to see it, but she had to believe that there was another reality than the one that she existed in. And we have to do that right now, even though it's really hard. We have to, we have to sit here in 2022 and believe that there is also a different reality than the one that we know. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about it with Alexis. We've talked about it, you know, the two of us. We've talked about it with Toshi. Um, and it's like, it's another, to me, it feels like it's, it's related to that idea of like hope as a discipline. It's like, and it's also beyond that. It's like, we are working on something that doesn't, that like we can't touch and we can't imagine. We're like Moses in the desert. Like we're not gonna live to see that world, but we can still believe in it. Like tonight, I sat with Shivana Murad and we watched more of that ridiculous anime show that they've got me watching that is just so scary, actually. <laughs> um, but like we sat on the couch and Murad like did my hair and then I did Murad's hair and it was like, you know, we just snuggled and laughed and we had a good night, you know? Like we were still able to give each other love. And like that's how we're having to make this world right now is by still finding ways to give each other love in spite of the like, the obvious brutality. <sighs> okay. Oh yeah, here's my question. How do you still love the world? How do you love the world even with the brutality? Hey sister, it's the next morning. I just listened to your messages. I love that bell hooks. Like, I love that this book, like she just writes in so many ways about like with precision about the state we're in and it stands the test of time and yeah and just this idea that it's like we we know how to love 
And then like we come into the world loving and wanting to love. And then our adults, you know, things are happening with the adults around us or there's gaps in what they learn to do or they're overwhelmed or they're holding so much. So, you know, that was such a great answer to my question, <laughs> right? Which is like, yeah, parenting, parenting is like so important, so much more important than I, I feel like we give credit to. Like I know, you know, now there's so much about like the labor of parenting, the labor of it, but like the ideologies, the the showing up for a little one is so important. And I really love your answer to like, yeah. And when we're going through things that like shouldn't be normalized, you don't try to normalize that. There's not like a, here's five steps um, to do it well. So, and I, I wanted, before I move on to answering your question, I just wanted to really say some affirmation of like how I see you handling this with, with your babies. Um, and also how in part, part of why I feel like I see that good parenting is because like your kids feel like they're still in touch with their feelings. They're politicized about what's going on, meaning they have a con that you've given them a context in which it's like what those people are doing is inhumane and not to be uplifted or celebrated or considered as a viable, legitimate other side of things. Like that's not <laughs> and never has been. And, you know, they, they have a, a beautiful sense of the history of this nation, um, the truth of it, which is this I think will pivot me into the answer. So how do I love, how do I still love <laughs> this world? And one thing is um, having having a sense of history helps me love this world, like placing everything in the context of history. So the world like earth is banging. <laughs> um, no, let me say a better word for earth at 7.30 in the morning. Earth is like, it's holy. It's She's holy. He's holy. They're holy. Earth is holy to me. Earth is everything. It's so beautiful. It's so deliciously made for life. And, you know, I mean, I, I'm always watching like earth documentaries <laughs> and space documentaries and like the universe, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm a fan. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it's, it feels like my holy place. So when I feel like lost, I look at the longer time of life's existence. And I look at all the other species that are in existence right now um, and how they're still incredible and magical and beautiful and, and and the humility of their lives, you know, that they are like, if I'm a migrating creature, I'm just out here trying to migrate. You know, if I'm a territorial creature, like I'm just out here establishing my territory and we're mating, <laughs> we're proliferating. And there's so much care in the natural. It, I mean, there's so much care in all that lives. There's like care is the the through line. Everything is caring for everything else. So that fills me with wonder and I love it. I'm so in love with it. Um, and then in human history, there's been so much love. There's so much to love. There's so much tenderness. There's so many small gestures of miracle and beauty. So I can look to so many other time periods and cultures and see beauty and even when I look back at periods that were where there was more explicit oppression of different aspects of like identity that I, I, I find myself in, I can often have a lot of benevolent thought about like, oh yeah, like <laughs> we're figuring it out. There's a lot of figuring stuff out. Um, and right now I can see that there's a very, you know, 
it's actually a very small group of people that have the most extreme and horrific ideas that are intentionally moving those. That helps me. Then there's a lot of people who just want to move along, <laughs> you know, just want to have, just want to move along. And then there's people like I pay a lot of attention, obviously, to organizers. And when I was, when I was like both feet steeped in the organizing world, like that was my daily life. It was very easy to love humans <laughs> because I was just surrounded by the best of us all the time. I really do believe that that those who are who are actively organizing and trying to change the world, like there's just so much love and beauty in that act. And I spent my whole adult life. <laughs> really trying to change the world. And something else that's helping me love it right now is trying to drop in and be with what is. Um, yeah. And so like, like the Buffalo shooting happened and I felt the horror of that, of that act, of that drive. But then I also felt in the aftermath of that, like I just saw the tenderness. I had this whole experience of tenderness in an airport the day after with this woman. This man walked by in like a shirt covered in gun, gun, you know, propaganda. And this black woman and I just turned and looked at each other and the tenderness in our look, the knowing, like this is not, this is not the way, you know? It was so clear. I love that. I love those moments when we're like, no. Like, in whatever small way we can comfort and care for each other and be with each other, like, that's still there. We haven't given up. And in the Uvalde shooting, like, thinking about the mother who was able to get in and get her kids out, thinking about the fight for life. I mean, that was a fight. And, like, I hope that people learn from that fight. It's always to me about like what humans still choose to do when they choose to act from love. When I bring my attention there, I'm like, that's what we want to grow. And how do we keep growing that? Also art. <laughs> so, you know, part of why I think I've become like the meme curator online and part of why I'm like making music now and like, uplifting dancers and uplifting like theater and <laughs> it's just you know vir vi visual art like I'm, I'm like I need to accumulate more art I need to just have beauty around me um, and be creating beauty and creating art that is like art that makes people sit and consider their the revolution that's possible in them like, that's my favorite art, is the art that's like, <laughs> like, if you actually feel what's happening, your revolution will ignite inside of you. You will find a role to play in making the world. And making the world is what we're all supposed to be up to. me love <laughs> continue to love the world and children your children the children of all my beloveds um you know visit you know i do my little visits and like the unconditional love that children offer it's such a good reminder to me i'm like we all start as children we all start as children we have to intervene on developing the harmful tendencies in us because we don't start with that. A question I have for you is what, so how do we survive? I think there's a big period, big, you know, I want to answer this question too. <laughs> um, but like, how do we literally survive this period um, with like, with our love intact? Right? Like, how do we not just like, well, let me make the world very, very tiny and locked up and, you know, that'll feel secure <laughs> um, and like distrust everyone. Like, how do we not do that? How do we, how do we survive this keeping our love intact 
and available and possible. The question was, how do we literally survive this period with our love intact? Love is actually a really expansive experience. I remember this from when I was falling in love with my previous partner, Melinda. We were we would have these experiences where like in especially in the early days of our relationship when we would be like before the pandemic hit, when we would be out in public together, it just in our like enraptured in loveness state that people would see us and they would just feel happy and then would feel compelled to say something to us about how beautiful we looked together or how happy it made them to see us. Like complete strangers would be like, wow, you two look so beautiful together. Or wow, <laughs> you two are clearly so in love. It makes me so happy to see you, you know? And we had this experience like multiple times that like, and I remember saying to Melinda at some point, like, I really feel like our love is not just for us. <laughs> Like, it really feels like our love is, like, for everyone right now. Like, it's for everyone who's witnessing it. And and I do feel like, I mean, and I th even when I think back to, like, my, like, the early years of my marriage to my ex-husband, that, like, thinking about, like, wedding planning and, like, the process of bringing people into witnessing our love and being a part of the process by which we committed ourselves to one another that like there is this way that like love itself is expansive it makes us expand but then it also calls us into an, a sort of expanded sense of our lives like i don't think it's um inconsequential that when people choose to make life commitments to each other whether that's like legal marriage or some other version of it, that it's usually in a publicly audienced ceremony because there's an expanded sense that like, this is actually about more than us too. You know, it's actually, and it's going to require more than just us too in order for it to be whole. So I'm thinking about that from my, that was like my mid twenties experience of like getting married. And then my, you know, mid thirties experience of falling in love again with a new person and having all of these people around us be like, wow, you know, and, and like that, you know, we were, we were talking in the first episode of this season about how, like, like, what is love? And Bell Hooks talks about in her book about like, it's a problem in our culture that we don't have a definition for love that's shared. <laughs> like it actually speaks to the problem, the dysfunction and how we relate to love that like, we don't know how to talk about love. We don't have a shared definition for love. And, and I feel like this thing that you are getting at in framing the question the way you framed it, that like love is not contracted love is expansive and you might in the process of falling in love with someone you might fall into a cocoon of love but that doesn't mean that like you're contracting necessarily it's like when the caterpillar crawls into the cocoon or makes the cocoon around itself it dissolves so that it can become a butterfly right it dissolves completely it's not contracting. It's just like becoming something else, you know? So, so I really hear that in the way that you asked the question. And I think that like seeing the sacred in the everyday is a big part of how we continue to love through this time. Like today, in that moment where I felt like I had enough energy to do it, I had been waiting for days for this delivery of compost. 
I had like ordered these six bags of compost. They had been delayed multiple times. They finally arrived and I was like, of course, a fucking course. <laughs> they finally arrived today when I'm like in my first full day of quarantine with my kids and we all are like not feeling good. But I did have this like burst of energy moment. So I was like, all right, everybody, we're gonna like carry the bags of compost from the front door back into the backyard. And then Maraid and I like ripped open the bags and like poured them onto the raised beds in the backyard and then like shoveled them into the dirt. And it was very sweet and it wasn't, it didn't take very long to do. And I was like definitely stressed out about it. <laughs> I was like sweating and stressed and exhausted and like not really wanting to do it. But it was one of those tasks that was like happening more because I knew it needed to get done. Um, rather than like because I was enjoying it. But Maraid was just like delighting in the task. At some point as it was happening, I like noticed how black the compost, the composted dirt was. And I was like, oh wow, it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's like such a beautiful color. And then I like settled into the task. Once I like took a moment to pause and notice the actual color of the actual composted dirt, I was able to settle into the task of just like shoveling and mixing it in with the dirt that was already there and noticing how that like changed the whole color of the bed. Like those are the kinds of moments where it's like, it's not even like I'm consciously trying to see the sacred in the everyday. It's just happening. It's just happening because I paused and noticed something instead of like rushing through the experience. And I think that's a big part of how we continue to love through this time is like, and I'm like, I, I'm not trying to like give an assignment here, you know? And I really fucking hesitate, as you know, like I'm always like, <laughs> I hesitate to give people assignments <laughs> because it's enough right now that we are just alive. So to me, it's not about like, I am intentionally pausing to notice the sacredness in all things. It's great if that can happen. For me, it's more like, I am just pausing and noticing. And if it happens to feel sacred as it's happening or after the fact, that's great. <laughs> but it's not like necessarily the case that it will be obvious to me at the outset of my pausing and noticing that this is sacred. But even if the sacredness comes later, that's great. All right, I'm gonna pause and notice. Okay, I did wanna offer up some top culture, but before I do that, I wanted to say something about like, there was another element of this question that was like about how we survive with our love intact. And I just want to bring in Alexis Pauline Gums and her teaching that love is a practice, which as I get older feels like more and more true or more and more obvious, I guess, to me. You know, when I first heard Alexis say that, I remember thinking, that's true. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that you hear and you're, it's clear to you that it's true. But the older I get, the more obvious it feels to me, even if it felt occluded before, now it feels more obvious to me that love is indeed something that you practice, not just that happens to you or that you just accidentally do. And... And so when I think about this question of how do we survive with our love intact, it's matching love to survival, right? It's not that we can serve, people can survive for quite some time without feeling love or experiencing love. But 
love is what makes surviving worth it. So to me, the practice is to match my love to my survival, to make sure that my love is keeping pace with my life, that I'm loving at the level that a 38-year-old queer mixed race black woman with three children survivor can love and when i layer all of those identities in together if i weave them all together you know and if i weave them all together as like traits and assets and lenses not as like traumas i'm like ooh what is the way i can love what is the unique way that i can love and let me make sure that my love practice like matches that set of experiences that i now have as a 38-year-old person with that set of experiences that's what makes it intact right is like if it is if it's if it's matched if it's mirrored if it's in relationship with the rest of reality that's what makes it intact to me okay um my top culture is zway oh my god so zway was recommended to me by um my colleague anisha desai who will probably be like very upset that I mentioned her by name uh, on this show. But she's brilliant. She is like, Anisha is herself like a comedic genius. And so I really trust any comedy recommendations she ever makes. And she was the person who recommended Z-Way to me. And so I only just recently discovered Z-Way who for our listeners is like, a femme black comedian with a late night TV show and where she basically like, in addition to having some like skits and songs, she also does these like interviews with famous people where she brings them on the show and like baits them into like saying things that are problematic. <laughs> Hi, I'm Z-Way. I believe in using humor as a tool to shed light on the truth. But there are some issues that are too sensitive to joke about. What bothers you more, slow walkers or racism? She's a genius. She's truly a genius. But in one of her, in the premiere for the second season of her show, she has this musical about critical race theory (laughs) that is just like so awesome like the hook of the song is like baby let's just move on now that we're in a post-racial america you history nerds need to get over it and stop crying she's like donned to the nines and like American flag, bra, like chaps, cowboy hat. She's just incredible. She's just incredible. And these like slow motion moments where she's like staring directly into the camera with like really blank eyes, but like a smile on her face. <laughs> it's just amazing. Um, so yeah, that that show and just like, even just if you can just get clips from the show following her on like social media, you'll get a sense of what she's up to, what she's about. And it's really been giving me so much life. Like I will just like run through the clips and like have a really good belly laugh and remember that like, yes, this shit is really disturbing. Everything that she's talking about, you know, it's really disturbing, but also our ability to laugh at the things that disturb us is also a huge part of how we like keep our love intact, I think. And I love you, sister. So my top culture um, is <clears throat> this short little, th- I think maybe three minute video that my friend Maceo made 
um, with a song from now, which is the, her song, Wait. I think it came out last year. And last year when this song came out, I had it on repeat <laughs> for weeks. Like, it's just such an incredible, outstanding song. And now does that to me, like, with her debut album, she had this song called Apple Cherry Kisses, I think, and it was like the same. Like, she just gets these songs, and I'm just like, that's the best. That song is the best. Um, and Wade is like that. So Maceo has that song, and it starts out with Maceo talking about just the moment and the range of human experience and trying to, like, like, kind of the tarot card wisdom. <laughs> I think of it as um, the success card that's always like, things will always change. One of the biggest issues that we have is we deny ourselves a full range of the human experience. It can't always be cloudy. And so when it is cloudy, we have to remember that the sun Maybe is coming. It can't always be sunny. So when the sun is out, if that's our preference, then we should appreciate it. Each moment, we have the ability to make it a gift or a curse. But the beauty of our experience is our mortality. And if we surrender that, then what the hell are we even doing here? Like if you're having a moment of success, just remember it'll change. And when things are really hard, it'll also change. Like God has changed. Um, so Macy was talking, riffing on that and making, you know, a really beautiful, coherent offer. And then about 30 seconds in, another video emerges from the middle of the screen. And Macy was sweating and breathing hard. <laughs> so you're like, wait, why? It's sort of mysterious. And then all of a sudden this other little video emerges and he's dancing to the song. And then that other dancing video just grows and the dancing is so sublime. He's an incredible dancer, but with that song, it just all comes together as the most beautiful medicine. We ain't perfect, so if we practice these things, taking a breath, looking up at the clouds, Treating each other well, exploring our imagination, and maybe we don't stop the impending apocalypse. That's one of my top cultures, uh, which I'm really excited about. Like, I posted it on my page. Like, I had him, I was like, I need to figure out how to post this. And all I could find initially was a low, like a low... Uh, Sorry, still early for me. A low, I don't know, low figure. <laughs> I can never figure out the names for all these things, but lo-fi, I don't know. Anyway, it was grainy. You couldn't really see how incredible it was. He sent me like a little, you know, copy of it. I posted that and then I was just like, it's not satisfying. And I was like, I need you to send me a high-res version. And he agreed. I'm like, repost it because it's that important. And I want everyone to see it. All right, well, my second top culture is this song that came out um, by a Ghanaian artist named Angel Maxine with Sister Deborah on it and other singers. And it's the best video I think I've seen in recent times. Um, it's like all these people like floating in space and dancing with each other. And it's all about pride and, and queer people. <laughs> and it comes on like the first part of it is like, your hairdresser could be LGBTQ. Your dentist could be LGBTQ. It's good to be nice because you just never know. Like everybody could be gay around you. Um, and then the second part is is <laughs> she's singing, um, and it's like translating, but like part of it is like anal sex. It happens in your family. <laughs> it's anyway. It just makes me so happy. Um, so it's posted on my Instagram. Maybe we can include the link. Oh, sister, I love being queer people in the world. I love being sisters in the world. I love being people of deep emotion with you. I love reckoning with all these things with you. 
And I'm so glad we did this episode together in this way. I think you're a genius for coming up with this. Um, It feels so intimate. I can't wait to listen back and hear what we revealed. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so y'all know what it is. We're produced by Zach. You can become a supporter at our patreon.com slash into the world show. You can follow us online into the world show and we're transcribed by Jess Pinkham. Um, our music is by uh, Mother Cyborg and Tunde Alonaran. And yeah, keep your heads up, y'all. We made it through Mercury and Retrograde. <laughs> we love y'all. So